And we've never been closer to heaven than we are tonight. And uh, we see the day approaching of the coming of the Lord. And uh, that should not be a terrifying thing for the child of God. It should be a thing that causes your heart to rejoice. And uh, it's called the blessed hope. And uh, there's many reasons I don't believe in a mid-trib, post-trib, because there's nothing blessed about going through any of the tribulation. Amen. And, uh, you know, Jesus told us it was going to be like this. Did you know, the Bible says he said, shall I find faith? Shall the Son of Man find faith? He said it was going to be like this, that it would be like as in the days of Noah. And that's where we are. The Bible told us there would be a great falling away. There's been a great falling away, Brother David. I mean, there's been a great falling away from the faith, from the Bible, from Bible doctrine. It, it, it's, it's rampant. It's, it's eat up our churches, seminaries, all across the, not just the United States, but across the world. It's rampant. And, uh, and, but listen, that's good news for us because that means Jesus is soon to appear. And, uh, and tonight, we're in Ruth chapter 4, and uh, the book of Ruth is an amazing little book. And it's the eighth book of the Bible. Eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. Amen. Uh, Noah come out of the ark on the eighth day. And there were, eight, there were eight of them that come out on the eighth day, a new beginning. Jesus was raised on the eighth day, on Sunday. That's the first day of the week, the eighth day. And uh, Ruth is the eighth book, and, it's, and it's a, it speaks of new beginnings. And there's lots of ways you can read and apply and interpret this book. And uh, I'll say this, I've never preached from Ruth chapter 4. Uh, till tonight, and uh, but it's a shame that I haven't because as as I've been studying this, um, you realize that Ruth chapter four is kind of the pinnacle of the book. It's the it's the apex of it, and it's what everything that's been going on has been has been working towards and and moving towards is in chapter number four, and uh, so we're going to look at it tonight. And there's a lot of ways you can look at this book practically. And see the, that the grace of God can overcome the deepest pain and, and the hardest situations. Uh, you can look at the book positionally and, and make the application about uh, the church and the Gentile bride. And you can look at it prophetically, though, and, and see the picture of Naomi being Israel, Ruth being the church. And, and there's a lot of ways you can look at it. Uh, but in chapter number four, let's just get into it, all right? Chapter number four and verse number one. The Bible says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom... Well, lost my page here trying to get my water. And the, I only got one half a cup tonight. I don't know what that tells. <laughs> Brother David, this morning they set out four cups of water for me. And about 1220, they was hoping, they was wishing they hadn't done that. But I got half a cup tonight, so I don't guess we'll get very far. But it says in verse number one, <laughs> Behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and sat down and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, Selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants of, and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to receive, redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. And then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? 
Thou must buy also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Bide for thee. So he drew off his shoe. In verse number 13, look at this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when we went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Father, Lord, I pray tonight you'd help me as I attempt to preach. Lord, you know the verses that we've read, and Lord, you know how rich they are. And Lord, no doubt, Lord, the grace of God that you've given us is something beyond, beyond my, my finite mind. Lord, it's hard for me to be able to grasp these great and mighty truths. But I pray tonight that you'd give me utterance and, Lord, you'd illuminate my mind in the Word of God. And I pray, God, you'd help me to make clear to these that, have listened, that are listening tonight what you've made clear unto me. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we might receive hope and encouragement, Lord, from this event that happened years ago. And, Lord, we know there's a greater day coming. Oh, God, where you're going to purchase us if, and, the, and the redemption will be complete. And we long for that day when we can be with you, arm in arm, for all eternity. And I pray, God, tonight, if there's one here not prepared to meet that God, I pray tonight that get prepared. Lord, I pray tonight if there's one that's not ready, I pray they get ready tonight. Lord, I know the day's coming close and near when you're going to return and take us home. And I pray that not one person here tonight would be left behind in this wicked and damned world. Lord, help me, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen and amen. In Ruth chapter 4 tonight, I'm going to preach on a thought, a simple thought. But I want to preach on here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. I don't know how, well, how your mind, uh, how you recall, but I remember when I stood before a great congregation on a burning hot August day and the pianist began to play and everybody stood up and they began to sing the song, play the song, Here Comes the Bride. That's what's happening in chapter number four. Boaz, listen, Boaz is falling through on the promise he made to Ruth in chapter number 3. He told her in chapter number 3, he told her that she could rest, and that she could rest, and that she could wait, because he, and, and he said, I will do what I said I'm going to do. And oh, tonight, aren't you glad that the children sung that Jesus never fails. He never fails to keep his word. And Boaz, he was not going to stop he was not going to wait, but he was going to do exactly what he promised her he would do. And I know tonight that things are looking bleak in the world in which we live. 
Things are not looking well. It doesn't look promising for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm glad every promise that Jesus made, he's going to keep to you and I. Amen. And tonight, I want us to look at this. I want us to look at this. In chapter number 1, we saw there were wooing days, uh, days of poverty. And we see that grace was exhibited. In chapter number 2, we said there were working days. And we saw the provision of grace and how grace was extended. In chapter number 2, Ruth said, Why have I found grace in the eyes of the... Why have I found grace in the eyes seeing that I'm a stranger and listen tonight I'm glad there was a day where grace was extended to me amen and grace was experienced by me chapter number three were waiting days and we saw the promise of grace and how grace was embraced by Ruth but chapter number four there's wedding days (laughs) wedding days we see the purchase of grace and grace enjoyed Tonight, that's the day we're looking for. That's the song they were singing about. One day, one day I will. Oh, listen tonight, you better believe this. We've only received the earnest of our inheritance. We've only received the earnest of our redemption. You see tonight, there is a completion that's not taking place yet. But it's coming, and it's coming very soon. Now I want us to look here in this, and we see here a a, a picture, if you would, of our redemption. Of our redemption. Verse number 1, the Bible says, "Then Then went Boaz up to the gate. Up to the gate. And I want you to, if you underline your Bible, underline that word, gate. Gate. The first thing about this tonight, I want you to see, I want you to see there was an appointed place. The appointed place of redemption. It was the gate of the city. Now the gate was a very strategic place in every town. At the gate is where things happen. At the gates where the leaders and the elders met. At the gate is where there were negotiations and contracts. And and, and at the gate it was a very significant place. Oh, you see this evening, the gate, I want you to notice this. The gate was a place for the transacting of business. You can look in, in your own time in Genesis 19 and verse 1 and uh, Genesis chapter 23 and verse 10 that at the gate is where business transactions took place. It was where things were bought and sold. Uh, it was where debts were settled. Amen. Uh, it was where bills were paid. And listen tonight. Uh, now I, want you, I hope you see this. I hope you can see it like I did. Uh, we've got an appointed place of our redemption. It's the cross. It's the cross. We sing the song, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my soul rolled away. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. But at Calvary, it was a place, an appointed place, a business, a transaction, a place where there was the transacting of business. You say, what took place on Calvary? Well, there was a business transaction took place. On Calvary, Jesus paid our debt in full. But not only did he pay for our debts, at Calvary, not only did he remove our sin, but at Calvary, he, he deposited 
his righteousness in our account. Amen. Amen. You see, at the cross, Jesus, Jesus took everything bad from me. And gave, he took all of my bad and gave me all of his good. At the gate is where transaction would be made. Contracts would be signed. Business deals would be finalized. There at the gate, it was an appointed place. The appointed place, it was a place for the transpiring of judgment. You can look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 19 through 21. That's where judgment would be made. That's where sentences would be handed out. That's where men that had violated the law and transgressed the, the orders and the ordinances of the Bible would be sentenced and would be judged. You see, this appointed place, it was a place for the transpiring of judgment. Tonight, that's what Calvary was. At the gate, remember the gates where judgment was handed out. And many have asked, why, why was there a need for the cross? Why must there be a cross? Because sin had to be judged in Christ. You see, Jesus wasn't just a martyr. No, no. He was a sacrifice. He was a sacrifice. Listen tonight, the crimes that you and I had committed, God judged our sin in Christ on the cross. On Calvary, Jesus was judged for our sins. He was, he was penalized for my sin and for your sin. The wrath of God burned that night, that afternoon on the cross, up there at midday, where midday become midnight. Up for three long hours, Christ was made sin for us. I'm saying tonight there's an appointed place of our redemption. And that appointed place is not in Rome. It's not in Nashville. Uh, listen, it's in the, at the foot of the cross is where this happened. The reason we're secure tonight, the reason I'm secure tonight is because my crimes have already been punished in Christ. And listen tonight, whenever the devil comes up to you and says, oh, you can't be saved. You've done that. You've done this. You need to remember this, that on the cross, judgment transpired. And when God judged Christ and judged my sin in Christ, he didn't just judge my past sins. In fact, when he judged my sins, they were all future. And he didn't just judge my sins that I committed before my salvation. He judged all of my sins. And so tonight, I, you, if you're saved tonight, you can never be judged for your sin because your sins have already been judged. Back in the pioneer days, they said that those, uh, those men, they were out there, out, headed out west, and they had a, a big brush fire started out there in one of those fields, and the men were running around trying to put it out, and they was trying to put it out, and all of a sudden a bunch of Indians come and, and, and began, they, 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 they had their uh, whatever you call it, them things they throw at folks and put, pin them against the wall. But anyhow, and, they, and one of them scooped down and lit his own fire, and he began to ride around the field setting it on fire. These, these pioneers thought these Indians were trying to kill them, and they began to holler stop it don't do it and one of those Indians that knew uh, knew how to speak come by and he says don't worry sir he said the fire can never burn twice uh, where it's always already burned once 
And oh, listen, and out on the cross, the fire of God's judgment burned on the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore tonight I'm saved in the arms of the Almighty God. I'll never be judged for my sin because Jesus was judged for my sin. It's called double jeopardy. God will never judge us for the sins because they've already been judged in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what about the sinner? They've not received their pardon, and therefore they must pay. They've not, they've not accepted the pardon that's been offered unto them. So, the gate of the city, it was a place for the transacting of business. The, the gate of the city was a place where there was the transpiring of judgment. I'm talking about the cross now, an appointed place. And by the way, I believe Jesus died at an appointed time. I believe he died at the very moment God intended for him to die. But I also believe he died at an appointed place. I believe that when God fashioned this earth and when he carved out Calvary's hill, I believe he made it just for the death of Christ. There was a place for the transpiring of business or the transacting, the transpiring. Now quickly, the gate, the gate was a place where there was the treasuring of entrance. Now, if you want to turn real quickly to Joshua chapter 20 and verse number four. Joshua 20 and verse number four. If someone wanted to come in to, this, to a city, they had to go through a gate. They had to be granted, they had to be granted and approved to come in. Now, in Joshua chapter 20, we see the cities of refuge are, are, are given. And there were six of them, three on one side of the Jordan River and three on the other side of the Jordan River. They all, they, they picture Calvary. They picture the cross. If you study their names, the names of these refuges, every one of them, every one of them is significant. Not only their name, but their location. They were all put on top of a hill so everybody could see them. And then not only that, God gave them enough of these cities so that no matter where you were in Israel, uh, no matter where you were, you could be there in one day's journey. And so they're a picture, they're a, they're, a, they're a portrait of Calvary. Why were there cities of refuge? It was for, for the man that had committed murder and on accident. It was an accident if maybe he was on the roof working with another man and he turned around to grab something and he bumped into him and he fell off and died. Or maybe they were out farming in the field and, and maybe he was plowing and, and maybe another man was leading his oxen and that man tripped and fell and he didn't see it and he ran over him and killed him. Well, the man that died, his nearest of kin, his brother or his father had a, had a right to avenge the blood of his kin upon the one that had killed him. Amen. But God made provision. And he gave them these cities so that if a manslayer, he had slain someone, he could run to these cities of refuge. And when he got there, though, he couldn't just walk in. He had to stand at the gate. And the Bible says in Joshua 20 and verse 4, and when he that doth flee unto the, one of these cities shall stand at the entry of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place. 
that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, they sh- then they shall not deliver the slayer up in his hands, because he smote his neighbor unwill- unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he that shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Do you see what this says here? If a man were to slay his brother or or, or a neighbor or someone unwittingly, that means it was not preconceived. It It was not something that he planned and tried to do. It wasn't because he hated him or was angry with him, but it was a simple accident. He could run to one of these cities. And once he got there, he had to beat upon the door and the elders of the city would come out. And the Bible said he'd have to plea unto them. He'd have to tell them what he had to confess to them what he had done and the Bible says when he confessed unto them they had to allow him in and give him a place to stay but there was a a stipulation here he said until the high priest die you see there was a limit on his time there oh tonight listen to me we have a city of refuge but it's not one of these It's it's called Calvary and listen tonight, uh, uh, listen, what, at one night in my life, I was guilty. I was guilty. I was, I'd broken God's law. I was a sinner. But thank God I went to the appointed place and knocked upon the door. But guess what? I had to tell them what I'd done. But listen, it's not temporary for you and me because our high priest will never die. Will never die. I'm talking about an appointed place. I don't know if you're seeing this like I'm seeing this, but I'm seeing here that at this gate is where Ruth, Ruth's life and legacy was going to be forever changed. At the gate here of the city, at the gate here, this appointed place is where all of her troubles and trials were going to come to an end. It was at this gate uh, where this business was taking place, uh, where this meeting was happening, uh, that Ruth was going to be forever written down in the annals of history as a Gentile saved by the grace of God. And it was at an appointed place where I met the Lord Jesus Christ and he forever changed my life. An appointed place of redemption. Then the Bible says in verse 1, And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. So he said there was an appointed place. And by the way, if you want to go to heaven, you got to go to Calvary. You must go to the cross. You're not going to find it in a baptistry. You can go in a wet center and you'll, you'll go in a dry center and come out a wet center. You're not going to find it at the Lord's table. You're not going to find it giving offerings. You're not going to find it doing good deeds and good works. The only place you can find it is at the gate where Jesus died. But we see here there's an apparent problem. There's an apparent problem. What's the problem? There was somebody closer to her than Boaz. And in order for her to be redeemed, Boaz had to address this problem. You see, you see, the kinsman, the nearer kinsman, 
represents the first Adam. And, the, and, the, and Boaz represents the second Adam. And the first Adam could not redeem himself. And neither can we. But what the first Adam could not do, the second Adam can do. Oh, listen, there's an apparent problem here, though. And Boaz says, hey, oh, whoa, come here, buddy. I need you to sit down. There's a problem. You are standing between me and my bride. And Brother David, you know what stood between us and God was a broken law that we could not obey, we could not keep. And by the way, you can keep, you can keep, you can keep, you can keep 99.9% of the law, but if you fail in one hundredth of a, one, one-tenth of one percent, you've broken it all. The Bible says if you transgress in one matter, you've transgressed in all. And listen tonight, Boaz meets this nearer kinsman. This means that he was of a closer relation to her. Uh, in this, we see there's a powerless commandment. Uh, the nearer kinsman represents the law, which cannot redeem. The law tonight is powerless to justify, save, or redeem. The law only knows one word, justice, and it demands it for everyone. The demands of the law are absolute. The law can show no mercy to a sinner. The law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ but the law cannot save the law is not intended to save but it's to show us we need to be saved the law could not bring Ruth into the family of Boaz it could only keep her out because she was under a curse of the law this evening listen to me there's an apparent problem What's the apparent problem? The apparent problem is this. There are people who think the nearer kinsman can help them, but it can't. The law can't help you. The law can't save you. The law can expose your sin, but it cannot expiate your sin. The law can point out your sin, but it can't pardon your sin. The law, listen, the law can show you sin, but it cannot save you from your sin. But thank God for Boaz, amen? Boaz come to deal with this apparent problem. Jesus said, I've not come to destroy the law, but fulfill it. Amen. And listen, he over and over and over, you read the cross and the account of Calvary, uh, read especially in Matthew, and over and over it says that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, uh, that it might be fulfilled. What was Jesus doing on the cross? I tell you what he was doing. He was taking care of business. He was handling that near kinsman. Uh, He was fulfilling the law so he could redeem us. The apparent problem, a powerless commandment. Then there's a previous claim. I've done mention this. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that the first Adam is of the earth earthly. The first Adam cannot save. For 4,000 years, the old man could not save himself. Man tried to save himself and man failed. But thank God, Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, and God sent forth his Son... Here on this wedding day that we're reading about, uh, here as the bride comes, we understand uh, there are 
person appointed place. And listen tonight, when we get to heaven, uh, we're not going to be so excited about the church we belong to. Or we're not going to be excited about the place we live. You know where we're going to be able to point to is an old rugged cross where Jesus died for us. You say, where'd you get in? I got in at the gate where the cross is. <laughs> Amen. You say, how'd you get in? I got in because there was a business transaction, because there was judgment transpired, and because there was interest that was granted unto me. But we see the apparent problem. You see, on the cross, Jesus solved our greatest problem. And our greatest problem was the sentence of our sin. The sentence of our sin was death, hell, and the grave. But on the cross, Jesus took care of our apparent problem. In verse number 3, the Bible says, And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that has come again out of the city. I'm going to finish right here. Don't worry. We're not going. I had, I had hopes and dreams of finishing this tonight, but you see how those hopes and dreams have vanished. Amen. Like the old song says, I've seen them falling through my sand. I like the sand through my, anyway. Verse number three. He said unto kinsman, Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which is our brother Lemex. I'm not going to read this for sake of time. We've done read it once. <clears throat> but we see that not only in this redemption of Ruth, there was an appointed place, there was an apparent problem, but now we see there was the appropriate process. Now follow me. Boaz was a mighty man of wealth. We know he had a great house full of many servants. If Boaz had wanted to, he could have forced this trans. He could have gone around this near kinsman and he could have took Ruth if he wanted to. Who would stop him? Nobody could. If he had chosen to, he could have bypassed. He could have taken the shortcut. <laughs> he could have taken the shortcut and gone around this. But no, he had to do it the appropriate way. Boaz sits down with the elders and the near kinsmen and follows the steps, the appropriate steps to secure the redemption of Ruth. No, short, no shortcuts were taken, but everything was done right and done according to the law. Boaz was a virtuous man, and he followed the guidelines of God's word. Now follow me. Jesus took no shortcuts in obtaining our redemption. Amen. Calvary was a necessary thing. It's hard for me to understand and to be honest, I don't understand how God could spare not his own son. I've got one son. I love him with all my heart. And I don't know, Brother Larry, if there's anybody in this room that I'd be willing to give him for. I'll just be honest. I don't know if I'd give him for everybody in this room. I'm not trying to be ugly, but I count all of you Near and dear unto me. I love each one of you. I do. I love each one of you. And yet, Brother Jason, I could not give my son for you or for anyone in this room. But God spared not his own son. 
not for his friends, but for his enemies. Brother Jason, could you imagine? You're like me. You got one boy. Could you imagine taking Ty over to Eddieville? Is that where the penitentiary is? And going in there and finding the worst sinner there, the worst criminal they've got, and telling the warden, I'm going to let him take his place. I couldn't do it. But do you know what God did for us? He gave his son not for just one criminal, but for all criminals. And what I'm saying is, if God had chosen to, he could have bypassed that. If God had, what you say, well, how do you say it? Because God is sovereign. He can do what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. But in his infinite love and mercy, he said, I'll give my son to die for you. But Boaz did not go around this, but he went, and he, and he, went, he went about it the appropriate way. And it was necessary. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said this. If it be possible. Let this cup pass. So I'm going to ask you something. If it was possible for him not to go to the cross, don't you think God would have let him go another way? The fact that he died on the cross shows us that it was the only possible way for us to be saved. And so tonight, I want you to understand, and I, I, I'm winding up. We'll finish up next Sunday night, hopefully. But, but, but when we talk about the wedding, and when we talk about the, the, the days ahead for you and I that are saved, we don't need to forget how we're going to get there, how we made it there. And there was an appointed place to cross. Uh, there was an apparent problem that near kinsmen. Uh, but we see this, that one at a time, uh, Boaz is taking care of everything that stands between him and his love, Ruth. But there was a process. And Jesus Christ, hear me now, Jesus Christ did everything that was necessary for you to be saved. You see, tonight our flesh wants to do and wants to work to be saved. But that's not the way to be saved. It's through the grace of God. D.O. Moody was preaching in a large meeting and a man kept coming back every night and he'd come forward and, and go back and come forward and go back, come forward and go back and come forward and go back. And some of the altar people that work it, they said he just, he just he's convinced he's got to earn it. He's got to work it. He, he, he keeps telling us he just don't think he can do it. He just don't think he can do it. He just don't think he can do it. So on the last night, D.L. Moody caught the man on, on the, before he got the altar. And he said, sir, what's your, what's, what's your problem? He said, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And D.L. Moody said, wow, that's wonderful. And the man looked at him. He said, you don't have to do it. It's already done. Amen. It's already done. And oh, I thank God tonight uh, that 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus did it all for you and for me. Amen.